Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. So in this song, we have overcome. I love this song. Let me tell you why. This says, and we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That comes right from scripture. That comes right from the book of Revelation when the, 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 the martyrs, it was re- referencing the martyrs, and it says, and they overcame him, the beast, the, the antichrist, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And the same thing applies to every single one of us that's in the room right now. No matter what circumstance it is that you are dealing with right now, you have overcome that through Christ. It may not look like it on the physical, but the reality is set in the spirit realm. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are the victor, not the victim. And you've overcome those things. You've overcome them by the blood of the Lamb that that washes away our sins. All of them, past, present, future, been washed away. You've been made pure and holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love the second part of that verse. It says, in the word of our testimony. And that word right there is the word logos. Now, I'm not preaching tonight. Pastor Linwood's going to do that. but, But that word right there is the word logos, and, and it's the same word it's, as referenced as in the beginning of John when it says in the, in the beginning was the logos, the word, it was with God, and the word was God, and, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. And so in Revelation, you not only overcome whatever circumstance it is that you're dealing with by the blood which takes care of your sins, but also by the Jesus in your story. By the Jesus in your story. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word, the Jesus in our story. Listen, guys, I'm excited tonight for Pastor Linwood. He's going to be speaking for us. Pastor Linwood is a dear friend of mine, and uh, he is actually the pastor of Hilton Baptist Church, which is the church that we're meeting in right now on Saturday night. Such a gracious, gracious host. Uh, But he has the heart of Christ, man. And when I'm telling you that he has the heart of Christ, every time we've gone out to lunch, he's paid for my lunch, y'all. That's good. That is the heart of Christ. Come on, somebody, right? But but he has got a great heart. So, Pastor Lynn, would you go ahead and come on up, sir? Let me bring that over here. And uh, we're in for a great word. So I would just ask you guys to prepare your hearts. And do me a favor. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Can you go on the stool for that? You want to look like us? Oh, they're your stools, so you're going to look a lot like us. <laughs> we share. That's right. So, y'all, give, give Pastor Lynn with a round of applause, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Um, wow. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, Pastor and I were out to lunch, and we were talking this past week. We are just checking in on one another, and... Um, you know, I can't think of a, a more opportune time to begin a church than in the last six months. And I, I, I kind of want to give you a word because I was, I was thinking about this this afternoon in preparation for this tonight. Um, and, and maybe it's a prophetic word. Just receive it. And if not, toss it out. But, um, but I want you to think about the times that, 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 that God has planted you here as a church. And there were plenty of other times that would have been easy times, but this ain't been easy. I mean, who would have thought nine months ago, just nine months ago, 
that we'd be where we are today and we'd be facing the things that we're facing today. But let me just say to you that if God called you at this particular time to make it this particularly hard on all of us, that you are, this is, a, this is the word the Lord gave me this afternoon, tap water versus spring water. You know, it's really easy to get tap water. We just go to the faucet, turn it on, and the water runs out. But how many of you would prefer to have spring water to tap water? Huh? You know, come on, come on. Why? Because the spring water has had to usually push its way up through solid rock. And what I'm going to speak over you is that I believe God has called you as a ministry and that the fresh water is coming through you because you're having to push through solid rock right now. And so it's going to be a word of encouragement to you. And, and, and it's encouraging to us. We are so grateful to have this facility. But when it's not being used, um, God's not pleased. So it is a joy to be able to share the building with you, the property with you, to share it with you and with the uh, congregation church on purpose. And uh, it, it's just a joy to even be driving by the parking lot and seeing cars in the parking lot. So we're thrilled to be able to share with you, to be a part of this ministry, and to believe for great things. I'm, I'm looking forward to, well, some dreams and plans that I'm sure you have. And, um, and that God's going to continue to bless and grow you in that process. And let me say a word about your pastor. Um, all of us want to look like Chris. All the guys, I mean, not the women. The guys, you know. So, and, and so we're going out to lunch the other day, and he says, well, I've got to go somewhere that's keto. You know, keto diet. And I'm trying to learn about the keto diet myself. So I'm trying to model myself after pastor. So this morning, I've got in my mind... I could fix me some eggs. I think that's on the keto diet, right? Yeah, that's good. Eggs are okay. But, but last week, I went to this place right near my townhouse in Hampton called the Donut Shop. Yeah, I know that. And so I prayed this morning. And, and I said, well, they did, have, they did have protein meals there. I mean, they had egg sandwiches without the sandwich, I guess. And so I'm thinking, well, I could just go over and see what they have. And I have never encountered such a demonic presence. <laughs> then when I walked in the door and those donuts began screaming at me. And so I walked home with six donuts. <laughs> and yeah, well, it would have been the perfect number. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to freeze part of them and reward myself later in them. The other thing that I found out tonight um, as I was preparing, and, and I've been marinating on a message all week, and, and early this morning, God kind of changed that. I hear that never happens to you here, Pastor Chris, but uh, it does to me. So I'm going to entitle this message, and I'm going to use my notes a lot tonight because, again, I, I, I've just kind of put it together today, but the title of it is The Playing Field is Level at the Foot of the Cross. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. And, and, and I'll begin tonight just by saying that if you took every verse in the Bible away from me, the one verse that I would need for my life, and it's my life verse, is found in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Uh, Paul gives this wonderful resume of how he came to know Jesus and, and how he had persecuted the church of God and that he was the least of all the apostles worthy, but, he's, but he says in verse 15.10, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, for I labored more than they all, 
Then the three most important words in the Christian witness, yet not I. Say, yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me. And God laid that on my heart, I hate saying it, 50 years ago. <laughs> but I'm grateful to be able to say it because it's, it's been a life verse and I'm still living it out. I'm still learning what it is to say, but by the grace of God. I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, implying that it can be bestowed and it can be in vain. But you've got to have the yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So tonight, I wanted to, to focus on um, what, what kind of came onto my mind was Galatians chapter 3. And um, Galatians is a book about freedom from the law, and the real focus that I find in that is in chapter 3, and it talks about a, a real freedom that God wants each one of us to have from the, from the curse of the law. Actually, Paul is pretty, pretty aggressive in some of his writing. He talks about the law being a curse. He talks about being dead to the law and the law being dead to us. But he, he, soft, he soft pedals it and soft pushes it here. And, um, and again, I don't know about you, but I'm glad we've got laws. I don't want to live under the law. I want to live victorious and have the freedom to obey the law. And, and, you know, I, I, driving down the interstate, I mean, you know, there are times that I depend upon God's grace <laughs> more often than I like to admit. Um, but I'm reminded of a friend of mine in Oklahoma who was a state trooper, and he tells a story about he stopped this one little old lady. She was driving 70 miles in a 55 zone. And he said, ma'am, he said, you were driving 70 miles an hour. She says, oh, honey, I haven't been driving an hour. <laughs> and so he didn't give her a ticket. He gave her a warning. But where would we be without the laws, and yet our laws have been challenged in recent months? Um, a lot of things have been challenged in our recent months. Our traditions, our belief systems, our confidences. Um, you know, if there's a word that, 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 that describes, and I use this in the pulpit recently, unsettled. That's, that's what we, I felt. And most people, when we've talked, that word seems to come up unsettled, that we've, we've been an unsettled people. And, and that which the law could not satisfy, God's grace comes in and does satisfy. You know, with a lot of the tension, I've tried to go back and look at a little bit of history. Um, Mahatma Gandhi was considered the father of modern India. And in, 19, in 1891, after graduating from law school in London, he moved to South Africa to practice law of all the places. And that was at a time when the racial system of apartheid was still in effect in South Africa. And Gandhi was fascinated with truth. I love this about anyone who pursues truth. Truth is truth wherever you find it. Will Roberts said that to me one time, and it's always stayed with me. Truth is truth wherever you find it. And Gandhi was fascinated with truth, and he studied the Bible along with other religious texts. And particularly, he loved he recorded he loved the Sermon on the Mount. He loved Jesus' statements during that. And he actually considered seriously pursuing Christianity for his own faith, for his own goals. So one Sunday, he decided to visit a church in South Africa, and yet his skin was light brown. And as he entered the church, a South African man said with a belligerent tone, where do you think you're going, Kafur? And Kafur was a slur word, a slang word, comparable to slur words that we would use in racial overtones in today's language. And this man yelled out, Koffer, 
where do you think you're going? And to which Gandhi replied, I'd like to attend worship here. And the man said, there's no room for coffers here. Get out of here or I'll have some of my men throw you down the steps. And Gandhi records that he never seriously considered becoming a Christian again. And this incident might have been one reason that he would later give a famous quote, and perhaps you've heard, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That pains me to hurt, but you know, I've thought about that sometimes, and I've reflected in my own life how many times someone might even say that about me. And so whenever I, I talk, I always put myself in that position, so I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. But if anyone can relate, come along with me. But who knows what India would have been like today, the great continent, if, if Gandhi had been welcomed into the church on that day and given his life to Christ. Think of what that might have been. And yet we also, we don't have to look back to India. We can look at our own history here in America. You know, I often tell people, my name is Linwood. It's an unusual name. It was a friend of my father's, Linwood Dawson. He owned a boarding house restaurant uh, down near the Denby area called Dawson's Restaurant and Boarding House. And my father had become friends. They became friends in the military. The unique thing about Dawson's Restaurant, and this is in 1960, it was still a segregated restaurant and boarding house. Now, what was interesting was, it was, it, when you walked in from the outside, I mean, just looking at it, it just looked like one big building. But there were doors on the right and doors on the left. And over the doors on the left, there were for whites, and the door on the left were for coloreds. And I remember as a little boy, being, being five years old, I'm, I'm walking in there, and I look and I count the tables, same number of tables. I count the number of chairs, same number of chairs. I even looked as, at the bar, I can remember as a Baptist boy, I was looking at the bar, and, um, and I was counting the bottles, and there were the same number of bottles behind the bar. And we called it separate but equal, but it wasn't. It was institutionalized prejudice. And, and even though there was an identity factor, it still fell short of God's plan for us. It had all the appearances on the outside of that which is right and fair, but it was anything but right or fair. And so we carry over some of these things into our culture, into our lives, that we can talk about the Jews and the Greeks we're going to tonight, but we bear some of the same responsibilities and some of the same opportunities to which Paul speaks, and that's what I wanted to bring the message tonight. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 26 through 29, says, you are all sons of God. I love the word all. Boy, that's a faith statement by the apostle. When he can speak to his church and say, you are all, say it to, say it to each other, you are all, you are all sons of God. Now, let me say sons, that's because he's writing a patriarchal society. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized, all, all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, those, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but don't think that this is just for the Jewish people who are children of Abraham. 
Everyone who is of faith is a child of Abraham. We've been grafted into that olive tree. We've been grafted into the blessings of God. We've been brought into God's household as the children of faith, Abraham being the father of our faith. So a few verses earlier, Paul recounts an incident that happened at the church in Antioch. And I love the fact that Peter tells it one way. Luke tells the story in the book of Acts, and he records the beautiful revelation that, Paul, that, that, that Peter got regarding clean and unclean. You remember that when the, when the, when the sheet came down and there were all the different types of animals? And, and so, you know, what happened there, the church in Antioch was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. One day, Simon Peter, the leader of the church in the early days there, he visited Antioch from Jerusalem, and although he was a Jew, he got that revelation, and he had pork chops for the first time. Now, that's the Linwood version. It doesn't say pork chops, but it says that he was told that it was okay. So he got this wonderful revelation of freedom. But then some Jewish Christians from the church in Jerusalem visited, and what did Peter do? He changed his tune. Suddenly, he refused to eat with lowly Gentiles, and he enforced the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And Paul confronted Peter to his face, both faces of Peter, then Paul devoted the rest of this letter, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, to the reminding the recipients that salvation and the blessings of God and the benefits of being part of God's family are strictly by grace, not by law, not by denomination, not by any rules kept, but strictly by God's grace, that we are recipients of God's grace that our faith is focused only in the receiving of what God has already provided for us, what God has already given to us. So the Old Testament gave favored status to the Jews, and they considered the Gentiles unclean. But the New Testament teaches that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So a couple of truths from this powerful passage. When you're in Christ, you're a favored child of God. When you're in Christ, you're a favored child of God. Notice how Paul uses the phrase in Christ or with Christ. He wrote, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, with emphasis added here now, because this is one of Paul's favorite phrases. I haven't gone through and counted it, but I read in a commentary that he used it 83 times in 13 letters, 83 times in Christ, with Christ. So obviously it's important. And Paul mixes his metaphors up a little bit. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. He wasn't talking about water baptism here. He was talking about coming into the body, into relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, somewhere, Pastor Chris, I don't know about you, but I feel like we've lost some of the reverence for the supernatural, for the aspects of the spiritual that supersede our technological age, our, in, our age of intelligence, that we've lost the passion and the, and the sensitivity to the spiritual things because we grew up in that dignified era where you didn't want to get spooky with your faith. May God bless us with spookiness, you know? I mean, I'm a child of the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know? And, and so I want to experience that fullness of God. So baptism speaks of our immersion in Christ, but clothing speaks of our identity with Christ. That we can put on the, we can put on the armor of God, we can put on the identity of Christ in our, in, our, in our lives, and that we become what the church called us at the, at the outset of the, at the beginning of the church, little Christ. That's what Christians stand for, little Christ, because we so resemble the master. And Jesus himself commissioned us through the apostles when he said that, that the miracles I do, shall you do also greater ones than these, because I'm going to be with the Father. 
I mean, he gave us this, he gave us this identity factor to which we are to live up. You know, it, it, it's no surprise to me, the more I understand ministry and life, no surprise to me that Jesus, after the resurrection, only spent 40 days here. I mean, he was, he was done with the work. He was finished with the mission. He was ready to go prop his feet up on the footstool of the earth. I mean, that's what the Bible says. We're seated in heavenly places by Christ Jesus. The one time it talks about Jesus standing is when a saint comes home. Because Stephen, when he was being stoned, he saw Jesus stand. But the Bible teaches that Jesus finished his work, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, Dad, are you ready for me to go back? And Father says, not yet. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm ready to go. He said, I know. He said, when am I going to go? He said, I'll tell you in a little bit. And we're closer to that day than we've ever been before. So we have this, we have this reality, but, but when, we're, when we become Christians, here's a, here's a silly illustration. I, you know, our, our sports teams are really screwed up, and I don't keep up with sports like I should. But, but Lord knows who's playing and, and what's happening in sports world. But let's go back. Let's, let's imagine we were three years ago, and these names will be familiar. Let's imagine that we have an NFL quarterback by the name of Eli Manning. You've heard of Eli, okay? And, and let's imagine that this New York Giants signed on with the Miami Dolphins. Boy, that's really stretching your faith, isn't it? But Dreamer likes the Dolphins, so that's what I said. So this New York Giant, he's signed on with the Miami Dolphins. But the next fall, when he runs out on the field for the first game, he's still wearing his New York Giants shirt or his uniform. Can you imagine the reaction of the fans in the stands? And yet, when we become Christians, we no longer wear the garments of the world, but we put on the righteousness of Christ so they know which team we're on. And it's not our righteousness because that's like dirty rags. It's the righteousness given to us by God's grace that you simply say, God, clothe me with the righteousness of Christ today. And you find out when you start wearing the clothes, you start becoming the person. You start wearing the clothes, you start becoming the person. And so the picture that Paul paints here is that in Christ we are favored children of God. Many other places the Bible uses the term children of God. And the Bible makes it clear that God has sons and does have daughters. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's the Apostle Paul quoting from the Old Testament. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? That's a question. Are you enjoying your relationship with God as your father? You know, again, semantics mean something to me. And, and, and the more, the past couple of years, I guess, the fact that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That, that, and, and, and I'm teaching, I'm teaching my way through Hebrews right now, and I've just finished Romans, and, and, and the fact that, and I don't mean this in blasphemous in any way, but we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That we are brothers with Christ. And he doesn't consider that an insult. He is, he's become the firstborn of the children of God. So that we're brought into the circle of the Trinity. And we're welcomed in there. And, beloved, we are now, the Apostle John said, we are now the sons of God. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. For when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So when you're in Christ, you have full equality with other believers. 
Some theologians have called um, Galatians 3.28 the Christian Magna Carta because the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul probably chose those three categories intentionally. He probably chose them intentionally because, honestly, the Jews were an arrogant bunch. And they were an arrogant bunch in that day. And every morning, a good Jewish man would probably pray, God, I thank you that you did not make me a Gentile, did not make me a slave, and did not make me a woman. That's, I mean, that was the attitude of Jews. Why is that important to us today? That's kind of softened in Judaism, but it hasn't softened in Islam. I mean, in, in truth and reality, we need to be aware of the beliefs that we're going to encounter these days. And, and, you know, it used to be when we talk about um, Islam, it would be that far-off country somewhere else. But how many of you know that when you drive down Todd's Lane, that the beautiful Presbyterian, I, I just love that church. And in fact, I think I preached in it one time when I was in Campus Life way back when they first started Presbyterian Church on Todd's Lane. It's a beautiful white church off in, in, the, uh, in the field, beautiful surroundings and everything else down near Bethel Road. It's now an Islamic center. And this is where the, the Islamic people are gathering. And so, you know, the beautiful thing about Islam is that we share, they, they, they trace their, their lineage back to Abraham, but they, they took a sidetrack off there about 600 years after Christ. And so, but we have an identity factor with them, but we have a disidentity factor with them as well. Because the Bible that we believe in speaks of the equality of male and female. And the Islamic, well, this is from the Quran. It reads, men have no authority over, have authority over women because God has made the one superior to the other. And because men spend their wealth to maintain them. Good women are obedient. They guard their unseen parts because God has guarded them. As for those among you who fear disobedience, admonish them and send them to beds apart and beat them. Let me suggest to you husbands out there that this is not a working plan for a happy marriage. It is not a working hand. But here, you come, here comes along Jesus, and he says, male and female. There's a, beauty, there's a beautiful symbiotic relationship there. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Jesus isn't saying there isn't any difference between people. Yes, we have differences. We have differences, but there's an identity factor that we have under the grace of God and through Jesus Christ. So there's a couple of walls of hostility that Jesus has destroyed. Number one, I'm just going to number a couple of them here. The, the cross, at the foot of the cross, it bridges racial division. This is exactly what Jesus was speaking of when he said in Christ, there is, when Paul was speaking of, there's neither Jew nor Greek. The false teachers in Galatians were teaching the Gentile Christians that they had to become Jews before they could become Christians. Paul struck back by saying Jesus' grace is for every race. Jesus' grace is for every race. God doesn't love you any more or any less based upon your background. You know, as children we sang, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, precious in his sight. 
You can be Greek, Filipino, Bolivian, Russian. God still loves you. You might be a Heinz 57 mixture, which most of us are. God still loves you. It's not based on the color of our skin. We all shed red blood. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes us one before God. This verse also speaks of national barriers. Not only are there racial divides, but there tends to be national divides a lot of times. There are no Americans, Chinese, Ethiopians, Brazilians. We're all one in Christ. For instance, I'm a 65-year-old white male, but I feel a closer bond with a 75-year-old female Ugandan Christian who happens to be communicating with us now through online somehow than I would, than I would with another white American my age who isn't a follower of Christ. Does that make sense? I find more identity factor with this believer, fellow believer in Uganda than I feel with some of my male counterparts parts in this life and in this world and in this society. It bridges social division. There's neither slave nor free. In the Roman Empire, it was common practice to bring the educated, skilled citizens of a conquered nation to work for the Roman citizens. It was unlike our civil war, per se. In almost every other social setting, the Roman emperor, the slaves, and the free citizens did not mix openly. There were economic social walls separating them. And the closest parallel we have today is basically the haves and the have-nots. That becomes the division that we face today. And there are places in the United States where you still can't enter unless you've got a certain economic standard, a certain economic standing, certain country clubs, other places. But the church is a place where the doors are open to everyone, regardless of their economic or their social standing. And Pastor Chris, that's what I love about Journey Church and about HBC. Nobody has to produce a net worth statement to join our churches. Amen? We have well-to-do folks praising the, Lord, praising the Lord next to people who are currently unemployed. We have the Neiman Marcus crowd right next to the Walmart crowd. We have Dollar Store crowd next to the Dillard's crowd, and then I realized Dillard's was closed up in there. Okay. And the American Civil War has made a lot of history. It's made a lot of inroads into our current conversation. So I'm really careful when I share this story with you because I researched it to make sure. You know, pastors have a way of telling pastor stories and then fitting them into history. So I did research on this. So this has, this has two valid, validated sources. But the story struck me like such a pastor story, I thought it couldn't be true. So check it out later. But the American Civil War that divided our nation, it divided our families as well. And it also divided the church in America. Billy Graham says the most segregated hour of America occurs on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And sadly, that was true. That was, that was true. And he said that in the 50s. But how much progress? We're making inroads. Two months after the Civil War ended, members of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Richmond were gathered for worship. And at the end of the message, the pastor gave an invitation for people to come and take communion, which is the tradition in Episcopal churches, Methodist churches as well. And to the great shock and consternation of the congregation, the first man to walk forward was not only a stranger, but he hadn't dressed up for church. He had rags on, so to speak, and he was black. 
And he went to the altar, and there was this gasp across the congregation. And he knelt down at the altar, and an uncomfortable silence of about two minutes followed when finally one other elderly gentleman got up and walked up to the altar and knelt down beside this man to receive communion. And history records that that other man was Robert E. Lee. I hope that that's a true story. Truth or fiction says it is. They're recorded eyewitnesses to that occurrence. And how that speaks. I don't, I'm, not bragging on, I'm not bragging on any generals. I'm not saying anything else done there was right. But I want to say, let us have an openness to history brought into a balance. It helped me appreciate a balanced perspective in my judgment of this individual. It helped me understand a couple of other things at the cross, because I want us to, I'm, I'm a little sensitive to our time. The cross um, bridges gender division. And I think you're going to enjoy this, because there's neither male nor female. It doesn't say there isn't any difference between the sexes. It says there should be no division or hostility between them. And in Genesis, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are different. How many of you could say amen to that? Come on. Men and women are different. That means most men can't beat most women who are the weaker sex, although at Planet Fitness, I see some women that are really remarkable. I mean, I think they could arm wrestle anyone down. But I'm glad that there's this difference. But maybe, have you seen the list of five ways that men and women think differently? Five ways that men and women think differently, real quick. A man will pay $10 for $5 item he needs. A woman will pay $5 for a $10 item she doesn't need because it's on sale. Number two, a man has five items in his bathroom. A toothbrush, razor, shaving cream, soap, and a comb. A woman has an average of 328 items in her bathroom, most of which a man can't identify. Number three, women always have the last word in an argument. Anything a man adds after that is the beginning of a new argument. Number four, when three men eat out and the bill is $44.95, each tosses a $20, bill, $20 bill on the table. Three women eat out, and the bill is $44.95. Out come the calculators. And number five, a woman knows everything about her children, their best friends, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, and their dentist appointments. And a man is vaguely aware of short people now living in the house. And, you know, just one other word again. This, is, this I think, will be good, because um, I, I threw this on you guys at the last minute, but... Um, there's a, there, there was a sociology professor in a college, and he was trying to prove that men and women think differently. And this is important, because I, I believe we do think differently. So he wrote out the words without any punctuation. Woman without her man is a savage. And he asked the sociology class to put in punctuation into that sentence. The men all wrote, woman, comma, Without her man, comma, is a savage. In other words, they believed any woman without a man is a savage. The women punctuated the sentence this way. Woman, exclamation point. Without her, comma, 
Man is a savage. So the gender wars continue. But the beauty of Jesus is male and female. He brings us to the table. Amen? I mean, the Orthodox Jewish synagogues, the Muslim mosque, the people are still separated from worship. But you, you guys, you just have to be reminded. The women were the last at the cross, and they were first at the tomb. They were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. When you're in Christ, you're blessed to be a blessing. Let me just wrap up here. You're blessed to be a blessing. Paul wrote, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And you know, a lot of us think and a lot of us church people think, well, when I die, I'll claim my inheritance. And you can almost hear everybody think around you, boring, you know? Some people think the gospel is pie in the sky by and by. Well, it is that, but it's more. It's also steak on your plate while you wait. Steak on your plate while you wait. That even goes for the keto crowd. You see, an inheritance isn't for a dead person. An inheritance is from a dead person. My mom died 15 years ago. There was a small amount of money from her estate, and I inherited it, as did my sister. And I didn't have to wait until I died to claim it. I claimed it when she died. I only received a half of the inheritance, but in Christ, the Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, which means the inheritance isn't divided among God's children. It's shared. We share joint heirs with Christ. He shares the inheritance with us. So what is, what is it we're going to inherit from Abraham? Read what God says to Abraham 4,000 years ago. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the pedigree to which we've got to live up. And God's promise to Abraham involved a lot more than the the blessing of Isaac. It, it involved the blessing of ongoing generations to which we are brought into. You know, there's a good analogy of, of, of two bodies of water in, in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Dead Sea. The amazing thing is they draw their water from the same source in the mountains, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The only difference is the Dead Sea doesn't have an outlet for the water to flow out of. It simply collects and it stagnates, and it collects minerals, and minerals, and more minerals, and everything in it is dead. The Sea of Galilee is teeming with life because it has an outlet. The water flows into and then flows through it. And so it is with God in our lives. So it is with the Spirit in our lives. We're meant to be conduits for the Spirit, not to just pile up inside of us, but to flow through us. The love of God flowing through us. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. I, I want to close with this. Chances are you've seen or heard of the movie Lawrence of Arabia. Has anyone ever seen that or heard the movie Peter O'Toole? It's one of the greatest movies. Anyway, Lawrence was invited to Paris to participate in the Peace Talks. This is, let me give you the historical text of this. It's based on a true story. T. Lawrence a dashing British soldier in World War I who united the Arab tribes and he led them in a battle against the Turks and they were aligned with the Germans and after the Allied victory, listen, Lawrence was invited to Paris to participate in the peace talks and he took with him several of the Arab leaders and they all stayed in the same hotel and they were amazed that when they turned on the faucet to the bathtub that it filled up with water. They thought it was magic. 
So after the peace talks were completed, the delegation was preparing to leave. Lawrence was surprised to discover that his Arab friends had removed the faucets from their bathtubs and had packed them into their luggage. They assumed that the faucets themselves were magic and had produced the water. And Lawrence explained that the faucets didn't produce the water. They were connected to pipes, which were connected to a source of fresh water. And once they were disconnected from the source, they were just empty fixtures. And that's a parable of our lives in Christ. If you find your identity in your religion, your race, your rank, or by keeping rules, we're nothing but disconnected faucets. But our true worth is found because of our connection with Jesus. We're put in touch with him. And the reminder is that the playing field is always level at the foot of the cross. You know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He's only got children. And all of us are his favorite. You know, if God says, Dream is my favorite, he also says, Tim's my favorite. He says, You're my favorite. God does play favorites with all of us. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we are so acutely aware that we are each a case for grace, that our lives without you would be so empty. We'd be disconnected faucets. And, and truly we are, and tonight our desire is to just examine our lives and see whether we're cut off with you or whether we're connected to you, to know that we are in touch with the Spirit of God and that as connected to you, he flows into us and he flows through us, through the gifts, through the graces of our lives, through our callings, through our mission, through our place in your kingdom. Thank you for making a seat at the table for each one of us. We're so grateful to you, God. And we pray that we would be worthy of that high calling in Christ Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chris. Man, did you get a good word, church? Was it a good word? Amen. Amen. Well, that concludes tonight. We'll be uh, meeting again same time uh, next week, 630. We're kicking off a brand new series, Jesus Over Politics. So definitely come out, check it out. Tune in online. Invite some people to tune in. It's going to be a good series. Uh, and so with all that, man, we bless you. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next week.